Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Ngozi Onoha. I am a primary care internist geriatrician. Welcome to my podcast. I'm the founder of Health for Niger for health education and improving health literacy and health equity globally. This podcast is only for education and not medical advice. The audio is recorded live and unedited. If you've enjoyed the content, please share with your family and friends. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Dr. Ungozi Onoha. I'm a physician and health educator. Welcome to Health for Niger podcast. Here we talk about health, we share information, and we share inspiration. Today, I have an incredible guest. Her name is Dr. Sha Moon. She is a double-boarded cardiologist, a lifestyle medicine physician, a certified health and wellness coach, and a wellness podcaster from the mainline of Philadelphia. She is the founder and president of Cardio Seeds, a company that coaches physicians who have burnt out and need a career pivot. Welcome, Dr. Shamoon. Thank you so much, Dr. Naha. It's my pleasure to be here tonight. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. So tell me, Dr. Shamoon, you've been a cardiologist for more than 20 years. So why did you decide to go into lifestyle medicine and start your own company? You know, Dr. Anoha, we've been, we know each other for more than 20 years, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's been fun, right? It's been a long journey. It has. And you probably, you probably also can feel um, that medicine has been changing. We are changing and medicine changing. And my perception of myself and perception of medicine in the United States also is changing within me. So, you know, when I went to medicine in Ukraine, and I'm from Ukraine, you know that, um, um, we did not make that much money in Ukraine in medicine. So I went there when I was 17 years old, and I went there for a sheer, you know, need from my heart to help people. And when I came here and retrained, I realized that medicine was a little bit different here. And when I was a trainee, and it's a long story, of course, I would like to make it short. When I was a trainee, I kind of got caught in this mill, you know, you can relate to that probably, that was probably coming from the 60s when this medicine became something more of a, you know, a tough competition between the doctors for like smartness and endurance, you know what I mean? So that kind of empathic side of us, um, we could not show empathy, we could not show, you know, internal kind of weaknesses. It was not, it was not something that was cool. So it was not cool to be uh, vulnerable. It was not cool to be, um, you know, caring, empathic. It was cool to be tough, to be uh, working very long hours. 
And also, as long as I was going, the longer I was going through this profession, you know, almost 20 years, I was looking at the numbers that our medicine here in the United States was actually um, achieving. And I was realizing the more we were getting exhausted as physicians, the worse the numbers were. Our patients were getting actually sicker and the diabetes and obesity and everyone was, you know, going to get an obese and diabetes was shooting through the roof. So something was wrong. We were not getting anywhere, right? As hard as we worked. And, um, and also the GDP part or the numbers uh, that we were spending on medical care was just atrocious. So something we were doing, we were doing it wrong. And at that moment, I started thinking, you know, as a physician, where am I? What am I doing? You know, where is my real place? So am I really contributing to the health of, of the population? Am I contributing to my own well-being, to my soul? You know, where is my soul? Where am I? And am I helping? Am I really helping? And at that moment, um, coincidentally, <laughs> I discovered the lifestyle medicine for myself, I discovered this organization called um, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Um, that was in 20, I want to say 19, before the pandemic. I joined them, I got board certified. So this is kind of the organization of like-minded people who want to um, do the right thing, essentially, to do the prevention, preventive medicine, want to practice preventive medicine, eradicating the root cause of diseases, essentially, because 85% of all chronic diseases patients experience here in the United States, they actually come from, you know, um, wrong or, or um, I should say, deficient lifestyles, right? Like smoking, um, you know, poor eating habits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we are addressing those things. And I said, you know, I can benefit people much better if I pivot to something that I do from my heart and from my soul and that I was actually born to do instead of you know, continue this rat race, essentially. So that's the short story of that. Yeah, I mean, you've come a long way, definitely. And um, even medicine has come a long way. If yes. we look at medicine of the 60s, mm -hmm. and now so many advances, a lot more we can do for patients. And not just that, when you look at the food chain as well, that has also changed mm -hmm. the way we source our food. Um, there are more foods that are manufactured, uh, genetically modified foods as well. Absolutely. So when you look at the way we eat generally, I think we become more sedentary, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, I will let you continue. I will let you finish and then uh, I want to, you know, continue your thoughts from my perspective as a lifestyle medicine physician. Um, I want to hear your perspective on this as well. Well, I, I just believe there's been so much change um, mm -hmm. from the 60s. You know, we're talking about 
when the hospitals started getting organized in Europe and in Africa. Um, of course, America's health system started well before then, so they were far ahead. Um, but I think that we have to adapt and adjust. But what so, do you think is mm -hmm. changing things as much as we are observing? What is the driving force? The driving force, in my opinion, of all things that we observe is people with, with deep pockets, right? So essentially, uh, our patients and we as physicians, we became a small small parts, small pieces in the game and the puzzle of people with big money, we, of big money, essentially, right? So whether well, it's a, whether it's pharmaceutical, big pharma, right? Or hedge funds that um, buy hospitals or medical right. care systems, right? And then uh, I don't say it's, it's necessarily a very bad thing because they know how to run them financially, but those things only become beneficial to the consumers when benefits trickle down all the way down to the consumers, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But during COVID-19 pandemic, we knew, we observed that those private institutions were not necessarily great or the best thing ever because we knew that they cut corners with, for instance, you know, storing supplies or storing masks or ventilators, right? Because for them shelving something for a long haul, you know, is not beneficial. It's like throwing money in the window, right? Yes. Keeping those surplus of ventilators, for instance, right? Um, and the, the hospitals are getting privatized by hedge funds or private equities and more and more and more. Now it's like what, 60% or 80% of hospitals are all in private hands of hedge funds and private equities. Back in the day, they were hospitals that belonged to the cities, right? The hospitals that were affiliated with churches, with cities, with, with um, those institutions, religious institutions, and they were like charitable and did all this treatment for free, right? That is now, so true. Right. Now, however, is what we became instruments, both patients and doctors alike, instruments for people who want to make big bucks and essentially right so what happened was this in my opinion what happened was this they squeezed doctors into a productivity system they invented the productivity system for us right because we cannot we are weak in a way we cannot stand for ourselves we became fragmented fractured we are not unionized, God forbid, oh gosh, we can be in a union. So we don't have strong representation, let's say in Congress and whatever, right? So, and those guys do who have big money. Mm -hmm. So what, what happens is they put us on productivity system because what they need, they need us to order more, you know, procedures, more tests to make more money, right? To sell more drugs, forget about prevention, right? If, if I, for instance, I as a lifestyle medicine physician backed by years of, of research and hundreds of papers, you know, um, 
um, you know, strong academic research tell you, for instance, that nutrition is equal to many diabetic drugs, they will throw me out of the window, right? <laughs> because they cannot make money on nutrition <laughs> as much as they can make money on very, very powerful and inexpensive um, uh, diabetic drugs or stents or cardiac procedures, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this is what, um, you know, costs money. So, and then physicians are forced to see patients every 15 minutes. Why? Because there are more patients to see, right? More money to make for shareholders. So where we are, we're in a rat race, essentially. So, so let me, let me, let me <laughs> stop you here. I don't want to paint a horrible picture here <laughs> because there is, of course, hope. But yes. um, this is why patients that aren't getting better. So we have to go back to the roots and start everything from prevention. Go back to square one, essentially, to, to save the patient, save the system. Yeah, I, I listened to one of your podcasts, actually, where you did talk about this, how diabetes can disappear with the right lifestyle, diet, exercise. And it was very, very interesting. And but it's not an invention of my mind. Yes, it's, yes. A, it's a science. It's pure science. Yeah, and, and I've, I've seen it happen. But, you know, it takes a lot of discipline. It's not so easy to say you're not going to eat sugary things. And I think, again, the kind of lifestyle um, people have in America, some have some work two jobs, they get home, they're tired, some work the night shift. So right. there's no way to incorporate healthy lifestyle into, you know, it, it, it these ideas are absolutely wonderful and they work. But in reality, number one, when the food is so rich, the portions are so huge and people just don't have the time to go to the gym or they don't have access to gym. So how do you incorporate that into right. lifestyle medicine? Oh, this is such a perfect question. I hate this when people say this is such a perfect question. And this is, I'm going to say it because this is such a perfect question. Thank you. You know, this is, this is what we as lifestyle medicine physicians actually study for our boards and practice in our practices because nobody else approaches this from the perspective of what we call six pillars of lifestyle medicine and behavioral coaching incorporated in all of the practice of lifestyle medicine. So this is why this is all multifactorial and each patient is different from the other. And everyone has to have an individual approach. So what's good for me may not be good for you. And when we meet, we need to assess the factors that surround you individually and make sure that not only you are ready for a change, right? But the fact that you have, you know, the environment, the milieu, the support system that will take you there. And then we create what we call SMART goals. SMART is abbreviation that, you know, the measurable, you know, accountable at such and such time, mm -hmm. timetable, et cetera. 
um, you you know probably yeah, specific, specific uh, yeah right. measurable so yeah. we actually yeah. provide mm-hmm. lifestyle prescriptions to patients mm-hmm. but we don't do this just to say you know eat more vegetables vegetables eat more fruits because we know for instance that um, certain areas of Philadelphia, huge areas of Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, right? They, right on the border, by the way, with the main line where I live, right on the border, the Lincoln Hospital gets a huge population, for instance, from the West Philadelphia who may have food stamps, for instance, right? right. Such a constant, such mm-hmm. difference. Mm-hmm. Family of four gets six hundred and eighty dollars in uh, during the months you know monthly and food stamps mm-hmm. so what is it leaves you with hundred and seventy dollars per week mm-hmm. so go and try to feed a family of four for one hundred and seventy dollars per week mm-hmm. but it's possible it's possible mm-hmm. if you do planning if you know where to shop mm-hmm. what to cook mm-hmm. and how what techniques to use mm-hmm. you don't by the way you save money but make by making food at home this is why we have you know registered dietitians who can help we have people like me who have uh, you know base background in learning dietetics you know and health and wellness coaching mm-hmm. we have enormous resources that we can offer you know and we know how to shop how to prepare food mm-hmm. and how to spend this 170 dollars um, shopping in certain places, shopping in certain aisles, mm-hmm. and using certain techniques to prepare actually healthy foods and mm-hmm. store them, how to freeze them, how to store them for a week mm-hmm. to benefit the whole family. Mm-hmm. And, and about exercise, actually, it's a, it's a good one because my, my husband is a practicing physician mm-hmm. um, at the hospital that borders the Philadelphia and the main line. Mm-hmm. And he says, patients come to him all the time and and they say, we are, we live in an unsafe neighborhood. We cannot walk outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, there are videos online, right? You can do floor exercises with your body weight. Mm-hmm. And you actually only need 10 minutes at a time, twice a day. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do 30 minutes mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. You can do 10 minutes and 10 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. And if you do 10 minutes, group together you know mm-hmm. and another 10 minutes um you know maybe three four hours later that's plenty mm-hmm. as long as you do it you know regularly mm-hmm. and you don't even need to leave your apartment just do it on the floor mm-hmm. you can do it on your chair literally mm-hmm. speaking or, mm-hmm. or if you if you immobile you can do just upper upper body exercise mm-hmm. yeah that's those are really good pearls that you've you've just shared motivation motivation is very important yeah this is why you know coaching coaching comes very important in this Mm -hmm. motivation and knowing how to shop and how to prepare the food that that's that's important so let's go on to your um my next question for you so it's about your work coaching physicians about burnout management i just listened to episode 17 of your podcast cardio seeds seeds. Mm -hmm. where you talk about burnout and the factors that create burnout it's a very complex topic and um so how do you help physicians in this role i mean do you you just work with physicians because i know burnout is not just unique to physicians there are also certain professions, not necessarily medical, 
And just for the benefit of the audience, I know there will be lots of people listening to this podcast and not all of them are in the medical field. Um, definitely, we know that other professions do also suffer from burnout, even in the legal profession, lawyers mm -hmm. suffer from burnout. So anybody who's doing work where I guess they're not appreciated or maybe they work on reasonable hours or there's extreme stress, lack of support. So all the factors that you mentioned mm -hmm. contributing to burnout. So not just physicians. So I know you work just with the physician population, right? So, at this, at this mm -hmm. point, right, Dr. Mm -hmm. Noha, thank mm -hmm. you very much, by the way, for mm -hmm. listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's important for me to get this message out. Mm -hmm. You know, I started cardio seeds as a mainstream lifestyle cardiology practice. But several months ago, we were, my husband and I were at this function at the gathering of, of physicians, essentially. And several people came to me, several doctors, colleagues came to me, and they said, would you consider... Uh, pivot in the practice to, to do physician burnout, mm -hmm. you know, and there were several of them, more than one, more than two. Mm -hmm. um, and they came to me independently during mm -hmm. this two, three hours of me being there. Mm -hmm. And, and the more I looked into this and the more I was reading and attending conferences on burnout, like mm -hmm. th there are huge seminars, there are huge symposia. Mm -hmm. I was unaware, unaware that people are so involved in this. And, mm -hmm. and then the more I was reading, it turns to be Dr. Noha that one physician per day dies in the United States mm -hmm. of su to suicide. You know, mm -hmm. the actual, the rate is three times higher than in any other profession, mm -hmm. including police and including the military. I was shocked. I was shocked. This is how not only not only how stressed out we are, but also how much unprepared we are to, to face the stress. Yes, I, I think the system doesn't have a good, um, should I say, safety net for, the, yeah. for its physicians. Yeah, the the systems see? overall don't have a good safety net for its physicians, right. to be honest right. with you, because if a physician is facing burnout in an institution, they really don't have anybody to call. You can't call HR. Right. You can't well, call your supervisor and you, you they can't have call those the lines. They have those know? lines, supposedly anonymous, mm -hmm. right? But sometimes it trickles out right. and God forbid mental a mental problem um, gets out to the board, right? right? The medical board. And then it becomes a problem. Do you know the fact that all of us, you know, each of us renew our licenses on them biannual basis every other year? Mm -hmm. So we have to fill out that questionnaire, right? Mm -hmm whether we have any mental problems, a mental history of mental problems. Mm -hmm. And that history of mental problems becomes a problem by itself, that question mm -hmm. for many physicians who may had even history many, many years ago mm -hmm. and were treated and were cured. Can you believe how unfair it is? Because that question per se triggers the necessity to answer more questions and do explaining 
on that very form and they start investigating you those boards mm -hmm. even if you even if you had like some innocent i i was i was reading into this you know i was mm -hmm. investigating the situation some people had lawsuits with their medical boards of their states mm -hmm. and won because medical boards were prying essentially into their private life and getting access to their you know private medical records from 20 years ago so mm -hmm. what i was thinking you know burnout for physicians is multifactorial right. so it can be a physician factor you know something going on with with their family something going on with health or it can and and also systemic obviously system too much work right too much work every 15 minutes as i said a patient comes in next 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 just too much work then regulations of course we have to do cmes all the time or some sort of courses you know some sort of you know passing all of those things uh, um, you know for physicians like um, either safety right safety questionnaires all they send it to you all the time you have to pass something all the time right <laughs> and if you don't pass it the five percent they, they just well, cancel you, <laughs> you don't I, I know the the whole pandemic i spent right. it preparing for my uh, recertification sure. so i totally understand it's a nightmare my husband is constantly studying something no. constantly constantly answering some questions <laughs> online he said damn i, I hate the, the day I was born so so but also also it's not only that some some physicians some hospital lack elementary safety right the patient can come with a gun and just start shooting number one number number two emr emr is a nightmare of nightmares some physicians do clerical work because they don't have clerical support and emr can be you know not only unfriendly it can be just they they may introduce like so what they call upgrades and it may just change or erase prior records and physicians are struggling with you know just spending time and taking work home uh, despite the fact that they already put 12 13 hours you know at work they have to come home yeah it's, I, not, it's not funny though and, yeah. and, and continue working I, I know for another the, five hours yeah i know the you know emr is a burden but i there there were some recent rules that kind of reduced some of the maybe, uh, documentation right. requirements maybe maybe somewhere so they yeah. are addressing some they of are addressing issues. but also i looked most recently, there was this Journal of Medical Economics published the, the third annual, you know, burnout questionnaire review. So they ask physicians, anonymous supposedly, they ask physicians, how many of you are experiencing burnout at this very moment? 80%, whopping 80%. And the self, um, you know, perceived burnout rate was 6.8 out of 10 high self-perceived burnout rate so and people said then then said you know some scientists looked at at the um uh burnout prevention program or burnout resolution program whatever they are at workplace and they mainly address address burnout when it already exists it does not they don't prevent burnout or they address them you know from um kind of a wrong standpoint they kind of 
almost like a blame of blaming a victim you know what i mean yeah blame, blaming the victim so they don't they don't provide physician with comfortable you know environment nurturing environment for them to work enough time for documentation enough time to even see patient hey what about giving them 20 minutes 25 minutes no 10 minutes bang 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 you know <laughs> No, let's, let's just, let's treat them for burnout. Let's, let's give them 10 minutes per patient and then treat, try to treat them for burnout. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people don't have windows in their offices. Um, cafeteria food may be horrible without any healthy choices. I don't even mention that. And the team, the support team may be close to non-existent or pretty lousy, you know, untrained or poorly trained. Right. So, um, Voila. About your work coaching physicians about burnout management. Um, I think when I took an MBA, in that MBA, uh, I learned that executives who, you know, they go through stress and they don't want to see necessarily a therapist, they do find coaches. They find coaches to um to help them through their journey their corporate journey so i know with physicians who may feel stigmatized mm -hmm. um, seeing a therapist talking to a coach may help yes so i think that coaching you know first of all coaching has been scientifically proven to help those what we call lifestyle interventions and improve the yield of um, lifestyle medicine interventions. So I think the word therapist is kind of has a bad connotation to it. Mm -hmm. If you, if you think the same, I'm not, I think you probably kind of get in, into the same notion that therapist is, you know, it has this mental connotation to it. Mm -hmm. And maybe, um, I'm not 100% sure, I cannot speak for every single physician, but maybe they're also concerned about this information being passed on their insurances. Okay. So an insurance becomes an issue, obviously, when the medical, um, I'm sorry, the mental health diagnosis gets into the system. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Again, that's the stigma. And then almost like punishing. Unacceptable uh, stigma. Yes, unacceptable yes, stigma. And yes. that should change, in my opinion. And this is something, actually, we have to be lobbying as a community, as a body of physicians, American Medical Association, lifestyle um, American um, uh, Lifestyle Medicine, College of Lifestyle Medicine, you know, we are already trying to move things, you know, and make sure that it's, it's moving somewhere, you know, this, this stigma should, should not be existing. You shared some really wonderful uh, information with us today. So before we head out, can you share a book? Can you recommend a book or can you share some pearls of wisdom with the audience? Uh, I discovered, you know, six pillars of lifestyle medicine and they all address, they all address essentially prevention and, you know, changing bits and pieces of one's lifestyle to benefit health in the long run. So what I want to say 
people who really are intimidated by all this information, you know, and don't know where to start to change their health and life for better. They have to narrow down one single most important thing for them, whether it's smoking, alcohol consumption, you know, overeating or eating junk food or maybe too much stress or maybe they're undersleeping. They have to kind of write down everything they're worried about, write about their health and address one most important thing that they think is bothering them the most. And if I had to, you know, if everything comes equal to them, I would bet on one single thing, which is nutrition. Nutrition, food is medicine. And food, whole food, plant-based diet is medicine of all medicines. It actually reverses diabetes. It reverses cardiovascular disease, hypertension. It, It even reverses depression, arthritis, all kind of inflammatory diseases. And I personally like... I. I don't want to promote anything or anybody, but <laughs> I don't have any affiliation. You can tell that, me afterwards. But, right. But all of those, um, you know, plant-based kind of diet books with the recipes, et cetera, et cetera. They're sitting by my I just, I just kind of pull them and if I need to cook something. So we have our own recipes. So um, we, my husband and I like to cook. So, and I like books about sleep about you know techniques um of prop appropriate you know techniques of sleeping and how to reverse for instance jet lag without using medications without using melatonin etc etc so there are ways of doing that and mindful mindfulness and mind body techniques of uh you know meditation and mindfulness and being present um in living in present that's that's those are fantastic topics i wish you would do a podcast on how to reverse jet lag that would just be amazing okay i will do that yes (laughs) (laughs) good topic that would be amazing you got it thank you you. sure so i really enjoyed having you here dr shamun so where can people find you on social media what are what are your platforms Sure. So my website is www.cardioseeds.com, cardioseeds.com. So this is our website with um, where people can contact me and um, send an email or contact and I will answer and we can start working together, just chat. The first consultation is always free mm-hmm. to anybody. So people can find me on Instagram under Cardio Seeds on Facebook, same thing. Um, what else? And uh, on LinkedIn also Cardio Seeds. Um, you will find me there as well. And Dr. Svetlana Shimon on LinkedIn as well. All right. So I've enjoyed having you here, listening to your wonderful presentation. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Anoha. You're welcome. Pleasure. Have a lovely evening. You too. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye.